Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Base hit left field. Here comes Liuri. They're going to send him. Here comes the throw. Safe at the plate. Sox score the first run of the ball game. Welcome back in on 670 The Score. It's me, Matt Spiegel, here with you on Hit and Run. And it has been a long time since I have spoken with our next guest. He is Jim Margulis of Sox Machine at Sox Machine. They've got a podcast. they got a, they got a, a, a website. Those crazy kids with their websites and their writing. Jim's been covering White Sox stuff for a long, long time as a blogger that I have uh, really enjoyed reading and talking to. How long has it been now, Jim, for a variety of sites that you've been writing White Sox? Oh, this is my 14th season. How about it? How about it? Yeah, a lot of losing. (laughs) (laughs) A a, a lot of losing, but let me do some math. 14, does that mean 2005 was first or you started the year after? The year after. That's when I got uh, set up. I did a little bit of writing beforehand, but Sox Machine – Formally uh, got launched in February 2006. All right, so so, so, so you've you've seen a lot. You've seen you've seen a big big arc and written in detail about a big big arc of this franchise's history over the last 14 15 years. We include the World Series year. They get it done with the Kenny Williams method that year. They do not get it done with the Kenny Williams method for years and years after that. And then they they pivot. They change lanes after being mired in mediocrity. And we are now finishing up year three in a very open um, rebuild as run by Rick Hahn. And Kenny is still there. But it's always interesting when a rebuild is going to be helmed by people who were in charge before the rebuild choice. It's it's rare. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and it becomes a more, a more nuanced thing to discuss because different pieces of the organization are turning over during the process as opposed to everything turning over all at once sometimes uh, at the beginning. So mm-hmm. uh, l- let me ask you in general, as you look at the whole scope, what are your thoughts overall on, uh, on the rebuild uh, as it stands? And that's an enormous question. Well, it's it's tough because you know I mean it's it's a lot of losing and you're watching the losing you know firsthand on the ground uh, and, and you kind of get uh, numb to it or just uh, yeah, it just overtakes all your other senses and, and you kind of forget how to enjoy baseball like uh, I, I was following the Charlotte Knights and I realized that you know following the Charlotte Knights postseason quest I hadn't typed the words magic number in five six seven years. And that was just extremely odd to me. So, you know, the, the losing sets in and it's relentless. And I try not to make the same mistake that others did, like reading Astros blogs and reading Cubs blogs and these other successful rebuilds. You know, about this time, this is my, when you might have seen calls for uh, getting rid of Jeff Lunau or getting rid of Theo Epstein and, and saying this will never work and they should be spending more. And so uh, knowing that, I try to keep in mind that people have looked very foolish just by getting tired of all losing at this point. Hmm. That being said, this still feels like a pretty bad year for the rebuild. And it's not like a, a 
uh, the rebuild's over or that it's doomed. It's just that at this point, more should have gone right or there should be more things in the positive column of the ledger to really call this uh, still on a successful rebuilding track. See, see, the, and that, I was very interested when reading that on your site this week because – um, I look at Lucas Giolito as they've found an ace. Uh, I look mm-hmm. at Tim Anderson as that wise investment in the long-term contract looks even better as he's developed into what he is. Yoan Moncada has rebounded to show you offensively that I think you're going to have a, a real stud on your hands. Um, Luis Robert has exploded through the system and it is pending. Um, so, so there are lots of specific high-end guys to focus on. Um, but but how 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 does the rest of it compensate to end up being what you term a bad year for the rebuild? Well, I would call like Moncada. That's a an unqualified positive. Like that's a success story. That's a uh, as long as he stays healthy, it looks like a superstar for your infield, like a Francisco Lindor type uh, for the White Sox infield, and that's that's great. And, and there's nothing taken away from that. But like say Tim Anderson, yep. you know he's had a good year. He's he's being the best Tim Anderson he can be. At the same time, he doesn't walk, he strikes out a lot, and he's on a team that doesn't walk and strikes out a lot. So on one hand, you know, individually, he's a success story. Uh, but when you put him in the team context, he kind of adds to this problem where the White Sox you know, have the uh, league's worst uh, walk rate by far and one of the worst strikeout rates and the biggest deficit between the two. And so is he, is he uh, hurting as much as he helps? And then you know, look at Giolito, he's, he's had you know, another unqualified success story. But when it comes to like the shape of the rotation, kind of takes the place of where Reynaldo Lopez was last year, where Lopez looked like he was the fixture and Giolito was scuffling along and hmm. you know, might have to be moved to the bullpen or traded or something like that. And now you know, Giolito is up and Lopez is down and, and not quite sure what his future looks like. So there's kind of a net wash there. And then uh, the, the biggest concern to me is that you know, there are some success stories in the minors. Uh, it's, it's a very top-heavy farm system, but when it comes to trying to figure out how to complement the rest of the roster and fill in some gaps, there really isn't much to trade from. The, the farm system really took a hit this year. The top four is good, but the top four was built with high draft picks and Luis Robert, who was acquired by, by means you can't acquire prospects for by, by, uh, by breaking open the international budget. That's now illegal, so they can't acquire guys for that. You don't want to acquire more guys like Nick Magical and Andrew Vaughn because they cost top five draft picks, and if you keep picking that high, that means things aren't going well. Hmm. Uh, and, and then, uh, yeah, and then the other top prospects we've talked about and watched, like Dylan Cease and uh, Eloy Jimenez, they were, you know, Michael Kopech, they were acquired by trading proven major leaguers. So when it comes to the development part, the drafting and development, finding second-round picks, trading for other teams' prospects who are maybe blocked or, or international guys, grooming those guys, the White Sox really haven't supplemented their farm system in that way. So once this initial wave passes with this farm system – they're pretty much middle of the pack without uh, having uh, yet built a roster that's pretty much ironclad at the top. So I think when you look at the big picture, uh, you know, they're, they're not doomed. And, and a lot of it was injuries. And say Michael Kopech bounces back from Tommy John surgery, Dane Dunning does, and, uh, Jimmy Lambert does, and Zach Birdie, all these guys who have had season-ending surgeries, if they come back at full strength, uh, then they're probably in decent shape. But uh, until those health questions are answered, there are just a lot of gaps and a lot of mystery, and you know, when you look at the White Sox, uh, you know, player development and, and history with Tommy John surgeries, they have not had an easy time coming back back from that. I'm thinking about Nate Jones, Mike Rodolfo. Uh, they, uh, they've just, uh, for whatever reason, hit uh, snags on their comeback. Haven't got their velocity back. Have gotten different forearm injuries. So 
there's just a lot when you look at the, the history of the White Sox front office. And as you mentioned, this is the same front office. And we have this extensive history that other rebuilding front offices haven't had. That's where you look at the system and you wonder if they're just making the same mistakes or, or uh, undermined by the same flaws that, uh, that basically canceled out their best chance at making the last rebuild work. Interesting. There's a lot there. Uh, I want Sox fans to be considering some of that. And this is not coming from a, a Cub fan, a Sox hater, or some of those kind of places. It's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of big picture context. And you're thinking about the health of the organization for the entirety of a winning window. You're thinking about in year two, uh, let's say that, that they start to really contend next year, which is, I know, aggressive, but I still believe mm-hmm. that they can if the offseason goes well. They start to contend, and then in the second or third year, you need to be augmenting. You need to be bringing up the kind of Jordan Alvarez that Houston is bringing up or the Alex Verdugo who's been spending his time waiting for the Dodgers. Like You need to be able to have those guys, and you're doubting um, the organization's ability to, to augment as the window continues, right? Yeah, right now that's, that's kind of how it's gone. You look at like Birmingham AA the outfield was supposed to be like a strength in numbers proposition. They had Luis Robert, who, you know, as long as he stayed healthy and proved that he could last a full season, was supposed to be a stud. He's, you know, he's been amazing this year, and he's the kind of top five prospect that the farm system needs, and they can really plan around. When it comes to the other outfielders who they're expecting things from, like Luis Basave, Luis Gonzalez, Blake Rutherford, Mike Rodolfo, all those guys have had bad years, uh, and, and none of them look like their solutions at the major league level. So all of a sudden, this glut that you might think, okay, we can – get a center fielder or a right fielder from here, or maybe we can trade one of the extra guys to find a starting pitcher because we're thin on those. Uh, that whole strength or that whole uh, dealing from depth, they don't have depth to deal from right now. Maybe first base is one, the one area because Gavin Sheets has had a decent year. They'll probably bring Jose Abreu back then. They have Andrew Vaughn. So they could deal Gavin Sheets maybe. But when you look around the rest of the farm system, the pitching got wiped out until they prove they can come back from Tommy John surgery. So they can't deal from there. Hmm. Jonathan Stever right now is the only like fully operational pitching prospect that they have right now. He's had a nice year, but he just doesn't really have much company when it comes to guys actually pitching right now. Yeah, uh, There's uh, just not a whole... Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, well, it's just that strength in numbers is the way that you kind of counted it over the past couple of years. Yeah. And, and it's the way that yeah. you look at it. It's supposed to be this this overwhelming volume of possibilities so you can deal with the fact that some get hurt, some stink, some don't develop, etc. And, and, yeah. and you're seeing a, a level of attrition um, and, and a lack of continued acquiring and developing to, to lead those numbers down. Um, Jim Margulis, you mentioned first base. I think Abreu is coming back. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned Gavin Sheets and Andrew Vaughn. Zach Collins is probably going yeah. to be a September call-up once Charlotte mm-hmm. is done in their playoff run here. And uh, and Zach Collins has been terrific since he got sent down after a very awkward cup of coffee here up uh, here in the big league level. Have you given up on Zach Collins as a potential catcher in, in the big leagues? And, I, if, I, and if so, he's part of that first base DH glut. No, I, I have not given up on him entirely, but I think he's probably somebody you don't want to give the full-time catching job to. He might be somebody who is winning rosters expand next year. He could be a cool 26th guy as a uh, as one of three catchers and a, a first base a backup first baseman. Uh, maybe your first line of defense at DH is a lefty bat because they really need lefty bats. I could see him being a unique kind of weapon as long as he can make contact. Like his problem coming up to the minors was that minor league pitchers would walk him. Like he could just wait out walks. He was more right. successful by passivity. But when it comes to the majors, plate discipline without works is dead. So you need somebody who can actually prove that they can 
you punish pitches, punish strikes in the zone, punish quality breaking balls that are would be called strikes in order to uh, show pitchers that they need to tread carefully. And, and he drew a couple walks and hit a homer early, and then uh, pitchers just started going up in the zone, and he started swinging through it, and that didn't happen. So, uh, as you mentioned, he's been great since he returned to AAA. Seemed to take some changes to heart. We'll see if it's any different when he comes up. But he could be in that catcher mix, and but I would see him on the roster, next year's roster, being somebody who's more of a DH first and a catcher second and maybe a, a first baseman third. Well, maybe he can be a guy, depending on what they do, who will be your your third catcher, which is nice to have on a roster. But he might be a guy who who, who is your second catcher but gets more at-bats. He did learn that the valuable lesson, and we've learned it this year watching Yohan Moncada. We've learned it watching Ian Happ. You have to rake. You can't just yeah. expect your eye and your and your your famed you know, perception of balls and strikes to, to carry you. You've got to prove to people that you can hit, and then maybe you'll get some results. And, and, and he's done that as he's gone down. Um, in terms of the, the organization as a whole, yes, Rick is still there. Kenny is still there. But Doug Lauman is gone. Buddy Bell is gone. Um, you know, they've, they've brought in Chris Getz as a development guy and then, and then brought in um, – uh, Nick uh, Nick Hostetler as a as a scouting guy, and now they're throwing Nick Hostetler at pro scouting, and I think that's wise because I think pro scouting was dragging behind over these past couple years. But <laughs> I, I think they are doing some aggressive organizational things to change overall culture. It might not be as fast as you'd like, um, Jim, but I think they are doing some things in terms of overall structure. Yeah, the question is, and, and the change you mentioned, it's too early to say if Chris Getz has made a positive uh, uh, change or if he's been uh, more of the same. It's hard to tell at this point. I'm, I'm not making a judgment on him. And Nick Hostetler, I think, uh, you know, made some decent picks, but also got really burned by the Jake Berger injuries. I think that one was really – he wanted to go with more college players who would address that walk and strikeout divide, and, and he was a big part of it, and he just hasn't been healthy. So that hurts, and that's hard to blame on Hostetler. So – I don't want to pin on that. The question is, like, when you look at front offices, like, you know, the, the successful rebuilds, the Braves are another one. The White Sox are playing them right now and seeing you know, what a deep offense looks like. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to that kind of front office, uh, you know, that's a different front office. The Cubs had a different front office. Astros, Twins had a different front office. Uh, I, when it comes to the White Sox and having the same decision-making engine, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, Kenny Williams, Rick Hahn, I just wonder if these changes, like bringing in Chris Getz, uh, Nick Hostetler, trying to bring in swing analysts, pitching analysts, if that's like, you know, just like uh, putting an aftermarket part on something that didn't work before. Like I've, I've made the analogy before that they're kind of like Blackberries, like Blackberries still exist. And they, you know, they no longer run Blackberry <laughs> platform, they run Android and, and they try to make it like other phones, but people just realize like, oh, I'm going to get an iPhone. Like, you know, a Blackberry is never going to be as good as an iPhone is. And but BlackBerry keeps putting up products because they're there. People acknowledge they exist, but they're never going to catch up. And that's what I wonder now with the White Sox. And, and I'm trying not get not to get too negative and too you know mired in this losing to uh, to not say that uh, you know that they're doomed. I just wonder, having seen so much losing firsthand and see, you know having written about so many decisions that went poorly as they happened, I kind of have a library of decisions in my head that yeah. have been made and have gone wrong. Well, I, it, it just trips a lot of alarms to me. I, I, I understand. I, I think you can have a healthy distance as you're trying to intellectually from the losing itself and still look at some of the issues that you're addressing. Um, to your point, um, as I talk about Lucas Giolito and the multifaceted transformation, 
Um, as I talk about James McCann and the remarkable uh, step forward in game planning and and scouting reports that James McCann has done and been given credit for, as we talk about things like that, one name that's not mentioned uh, in any of that is Don Cooper. Just not, he's not a part of those things. He's not, mm-hmm. and that and I find that very troubling um, because I. I I don't I mean, this kind of stuff that we used to think that Don Cooper was great at. I'm not sure that I'm seeing any manifestation of it anymore. I feel like Don is a is a remnant of um, of of loyalty and a remnant of the status quo that um, that that is not part of a positive future. Yeah, I, I kind of have the same feeling. And I think some of it like Giolito allowing him to pursue improvement on his own, I think that's important for a pitching coach. And so sometimes when it comes to an organization, uh, you're better off not getting in the way. Like you might not have a solution for a guy, but if he thinks he can figure it out, like reading books like the MVP machine and Astro Ball, like as long as you don't get in the way of guys who think they have a better idea, then I think that's a positive attribute for a coach to have. So if, if Julio goes away from the White Sox to make an improvement and it works, I, I wouldn't call it a credits Don Cooper, but I would say, like, at least he didn't get in the way. At least he doesn't have the ego to say, that's not the White Sox way. Um, you know, stay tall and, and, and keep your plane, and it'll all work out. Yeah. Or learn a cutter. You know, so he didn't, he didn't try to force a formula on him, so that's good. But, yeah, I've noticed that, too. And, you know, when it comes to the pitcher health, the injuries have piled up. And I, I do wonder, as velocity goes up, and, and, the, and a lot of the White Sox classic success stories were not, like, high-velocity guys. They were you know, low 90s pitchers who could learn a cutter, could learn location. But when it comes to, like, the guys throwing 96 and above and the amount of injuries being, you know, uh, amassed and the amount of days lost at disabled list, I do wonder if, you know, maybe the way pitchers are built and the way they're developed now before they get to the White Sox just are not conducive to the way uh, Don Cooper's approach was. And everybody has adjusted. Maybe part of the adjustment is letting guys go off sites and figure out their own ways to improve. But, yeah, I haven't seen – much of a difference there the way that you hear like with Houston like Brent Strom's influence correct or or uh, and, and, or, or the Cubs, the Cubs when Theo took over they brought in Derek Anderson from Vanderbilt and he was the pitching coordinator for all of the minor leagues and he reframed the way that they discuss pitching a develop pitching think about pitching and, yeah. and, 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 and White Sox have done that a little bit with Everett Kiefer at the minor league levels and I think we've seen that with like Jimmy Lambert and Jonathan Stever a couple of guys who have raise their pitching profiles because they do learn what pitches work best for them and which pitches to uh, don't uh, the conventional wisdom tells them to throw, but they shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, we've seen some of that at the minor league levels. And so maybe we'll see that pop up in Chicago, um, you know, maybe in the next couple of years and maybe Don Cooper will get, yeah, I guess it'll be more of a coexistence with modern thinking with his old school approach and, and uh, I guess his quotes and maybe uh, it'll be kind of a happy coexistence. But right now I think it's an awkward in-between phase to where stuff happening in the minors is not getting the majors yet, and the major league pitching development is just uh, kind of floating right now. Yeah, um, well, maybe Danny Farquhar, uh, who the new minor league hitting instructor who brings with him uh, a mindset acquired in Tampa Bay and who was uh, a guy, the first guy screaming for Lucas Giolito to abandon the two-seamer and go to the four-seamer. Maybe Danny Farquhar can help move that forward. Let, last thing for you on, on the big pressing topic remaining for this year. Um, do you think Luis Robert should come up, service time be damned, or, uh, or do you think they should play the Chris Bryant seven? is more than six game with Luis Robert. No, I think I would call up Robert saying seven equals seven. And I think that this is an important seventh year. Just, you know, he's still 
playing for the White Sox in seven different seasons. It's just the one everybody considers the seventh would be in the front, in the back. Mm. Uh, we've seen with Yon Makata and Eloy Jimenez now uh, that the first year is really tough for them, that the you know there is no easy transition, even for a guy like Eloy. And I think like Eloy having his struggles the way he's having them, um, that, that's what kind of caused me to have more urgency with Robert coming up because for a hitter who looked, yeah, hitting looked so easy to him at Charlotte. And he could just flick the ball out to opposite field. Um, if he was being pitched in, he could get the bat around, he could inside out it. You know, however you wanted to pitch him, he could hit it. Now at the majors, he's finding that it just, that doesn't work for him anymore. He might have to retool a stance in the off season. And I just think there's so much to learn with that first initial go around to take in the off season. I think Robert is not going to be somebody who has an easy transition. And I think for me at this point, given how Eloy is under uh, contract and, and uh, for a while and Moncada's free agency is going to be coming up in four years, I think you really want to maximize the rest of the time Moncada is under team control. And to me, that, that uh, necessitates bringing up Robert now and having him get the learning, you know, the, the, the steep learning curve over with while everybody else is having a tough time. So you hopefully maximize like this three years that Moncada's around and Giolito's around and, and maybe Giolito signs attention. But right now, there's kind of like a three-year window where it looks like every important homegrown or home-acquired player should be fully operational and at the top of their game. And they and need to hit. To and because of yeah. the top-heavy nature of the system, they need to hit and uh, they need to grow together. No, I'm, I'm with you. I think Luis should come up. Um, Jim, great stuff. Fun to talk to you. Appreciate it. I know you're in Saratoga. Go back to playing the ponies and get out of the parking lot. All right? <laughs> we'll do. And hopefully we'll talk uh, sooner because uh, it's been too long. Uh, we will, I'm sure. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate right. it. Have a good one. You got it. That's Jim Margulis of Sox Machine. Um, interesting. Hearing from a lot of Sox fans on uh, a 6711 text line, um, some are happy, some are confused, some agree, some think that Jim is too clouded by the recent losing. I think it's very fair to take a, an overall larger look at the rebuild um, as long as you're paying attention to absolutely everything. And the fact that it is the same regime leads to the, uh, the, the inevitability of some, of some disconnect along the way. In my opinion, six seventy. The score is where you are. We got a couple of minutes. To take your phone calls at three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. You want to react to that? You can. Ben Zobrist is back. You heard from him uh, earlier. If you missed any of that, we'll play you some of Ben Zobrist uh, in the noon hour as we lead up to Cubs pregame at twelve forty five. Very interesting stuff from a very open Ben Zobrist. Uh, that'll be coming up as well. Also, we'll talk MLB pitching trends and the American League race with Tyler Kepner of the New York Times before we get out of here as well. It's Matt. Spiegel with you on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back in on 670 The Score. You Darvish has been absolutely terrific for a long time. Since the 10th of June, uh, that was a game that Mike Borzello and Tommy Hadovy say is a turning point. Darvish has had a 3.60 ERA and 13 starts, 102 strikeouts and eight walks. Um, He's been really, really good. And it's been uh, a variety of things. It's been 
throwing the split-fingered fastball more. Sahad of Sharma wrote about it on The Athletic uh, with uh, help from Borzello as he and Mike have a good relationship and go very, very deep on some pitching stuff from time to time. But, man, the split-fingered fastball, shades of Roger Craig and every San Francisco Giants pitcher, he taught that too in the in the 80s. Shades of Roger Clemens and his dominant run in the 90s and his steroid-infused 2000s. Uh, you Darvish um, has added the splitter in terms of the volume. He's, he's jumped up a lot in terms of how much he's throwing the splitter. And you're seeing why he has been a marvel for a long, long time. Um, since he was a young guy in Japan because of all these different pitches he can throw and the different ways that he can throw it, the different ways that he can manipulate individual pitches. It wreaks havoc with your scouting and now with your stat cast and all that stuff because all of a sudden he'll throw the cutter three miles per hour faster and you don't know what pitch it is. Stuff like that. And what he's doing now is he is fully, fully giving in to what Borzello and Hadavi and the Cubs Brain Trust has done very, very well, which is game planning. They believed, as they were scouting you, Darvish, and deciding whether to sign him, that not only was his stuff phenomenal, which it is, and some of the greatest stuff in baseball. Um, Clayton Kershaw had told Borzello, um, wait until you see Darvish's stuff up close. It's ridiculous. Wait until you see all the weapons he has. The Cubs were excited to get their hands on that because they believe, as they always do, um, that they can help pitchers become the best version of themselves, the guys who truly maximize everything that they have in their arsenal. And right now, what you're seeing with you, Darvish, is a guy who is giving in to what the Cubs are seeing, and he's allowing himself to be coached and educated with their scouting reports. He does a, a pre-start walkthrough the day before starts now in the bullpen. He goes through each hitter. And their scouting reports calls it a, a, a dry run or something like that. Not a dry hump. That's when the relievers warm up but don't come in. That's a very different thing, as you know. Uh, but he, he trusts the Cubs' game-planning infrastructure, which is phenomenal, and it's making a huge difference for Darvish. With all that said, he's missing his start today because of forearm tightness. Uh-oh! Missing his start today, and it's concerning. Because an injury is something that can mess with a man's head. And we've seen that kind of stuff mess with you uh, Darvish's head. But apparently he's been noticing it and feeling it for about five or six starts. So he's felt it and it has not affected him. He's been terrific for most of those starts. So he's just going to get a, sp- a skip here. Tyler Chatwood goes today. On short notice, but the rosters are expanded. Lots of pitchers are here. Lots and lots of guys are here. So Chatwood goes today, and Darvish will uh, resume his regular spot in the rotation next Saturday. Joe Madden also spoke with the media a little while ago and expressed his lack of concern overall for Darvish. But, boy, you, don't, you need every game here. You know, you'd really rather not be skipping you, Darvish, today. This uh, bottom of the hour is brought to you by Northwestern Football. Join Big Ten Coach of the Year Pat Fitzgerald and the Big Ten West Champion Northwestern Wildcats this fall at Ryan Field. Matchups include Ohio State, Michigan State, and Iowa. Single and season, single and season, season and single game tickets are on sale now at nusports.com. This segment is brought to you by also the Chicago Dogs Baseball with everything. This is your last call for fun with the Chicago Dogs Baseball. Tonight, bark at the ballpark and pregame autographs. 
The final game is tomorrow, Labor Day Monday, and you can play catch on the field. The Chicago Dogs. Baseball with everything. Tickets at thechicagodogs.com. Let's talk to Ron on the south side. After that conversation with Jim Margulis, let's talk to Ron about those White Sox. What's up, Ron? How are you? Baseball is your life. <laughs> For, forever and ever, baby. Forever. Now forever. Yes, sir. But look here. Very, very uh, enjoyable. Good good perspective. Um, and on, on a lot of those things, I agree with, with your guests. Um, certainly, we you know saw the improvement with Tim Anderson and Yoan um, and Connor. Uh a little disappointment with uh, Dylan Cease. And, and I know he's, you know, he's a rookie pitcher. A lot of hype that he was minor league pitcher of the year. Uh, him and there, you know, some, some struggles there. But but more importantly, man, what I'm, what I'm looking at is we keep hearing that this offseason is very crucial for the White Sox in terms of this rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Particularly when you look at the, the last offseason, which was pretty much a, a failure. Yeah, James McCann turned out pretty good. But uh, it's it, that, that's what my concerns is. Uh, I like what you said about uh, Wade Miley. That's a, that's 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 could be a nice um, pickup. They need a right fielder. Uh-huh. But just overall, and then there's still questions when you look. Um, Kopech is coming off an injury. But so what do you do with Carlos Rodon? There's still a lot of um, questions with this team. And right now, I, I, and this team has lost. You're guessing this team has lost a lot of games. Man, have lost a lot of games. So. Um, I'm just kind of guarded. I just want to see what happens in the offseason. Again, you know, I look at Giolito, uh, Renato Lopez. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, are you looking at a number four or five? So the, the pitching is still a big question. So um, they have a lot of work to do. So I'm yes, just going to see what happens in the offseason. Um, and we'll, we'll we'll go from there. But um, your, your guess was was right on. You know that this team there's a lot of there's a lot of losses, man. And, yeah, uh, you got, they're going to have to come up big. You they're going to have to come up big. Uh, yeah, they are. It's a big, big off season. You got to be careful not let those losses pile up and 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 drive you to big picture pessimism when it's unwarranted. But that said, you you can you can look at a few things in the big picture and be concerned. This off season is huge. Garrett Cole and Anthony Rendon are both Scott Boris clients. Um, They are expecting to get deals over $200 million. I have no reason to believe they will not get them. None. Um, Boris will wait as long as he needs to, as he did with Bryce Harper. They will, uh, and these guys will, and look, last year, everybody knew what Harper wanted, 300 mil. Everybody knew what Manny Machado wanted, 300 mil. They both got it. Anthony Rendon, especially as, oof, man, just a, an unbelievable season here at the most opportune moment imaginable. Congratulations to Anthony Rendon on signing the biggest contract of this upcoming offseason. So you've got those guys. And then beyond that, you're looking at among pitchers who you know you need if you're the White Sox. You need your John Lester. Is Madison Bumgarner your John Lester? I think it's a really, it's an interesting, interesting name to start thinking about. I, I obviously he is not young and poised to give you four quality ace years here. That's not the Madison Bumgarner you're getting. But smart, postseason savvy, tough as hell. 
Interesting. The guy I brought up who uh, Ron mentioned is Wade Miley because Dallas Keuchel is there. Um, Garrett Cole is there. But how about Wade Miley from the Brewers now to the Astros having a terrific year for the Astros right now? These will be some of the other free agent starting pitcher names to start considering. Zach Wheeler of the Mets. They held on to him. He's been very, very good. Big time injury history. I'd be afraid to give Zach Wheeler a pile of years and a pile of money. I keep thinking about uh, Keuchel. Miley, and to a lesser extent, Bumgarner. And I'm, and I'm intrigued at what, they, uh, at what they might be able to do with one of those guys at the front of the rotation. It is hit and run on 670 The Score. I'm Matt Spiegel. It is time to talk to Tyler Kepner from the New York Times, national baseball writer, and his book, K, is just phenomenal. I want to talk with him about MLB pitching trends and some of the other stories around the game. And uh, we'll do that next when we come back on 670 The Score. Welcome back in on 670 The Score. It's Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run. Ben Zobrist is back with the Cubs. He uh, spoke mm, maybe about an hour and a half ago. We're going to bring you some of the best of that next hour as we take you towards Cubs Brewers pregame at 1245. But next we have a conversation with Tyler Kepner of the New York Times, national baseball writer, and his latest book, K, A History of Baseball in 10 Pitches, is a phenomenal read. And I highly recommend anybody who digs uh, baseball, digs the trends, the history of the game. And it's it's a way to uh, trace the entire history of the game through through 10 specific pitches. Good morning, Tyler. Or good afternoon where you are at Yankee Stadium, sir. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. It's Lee Smith Day at Wrigley. It's Mike Mussina Day uh, there in New York. So uh, yeah. that, that that must be fun. I, I didn't get the memo, but apparently Sunday, September 1st is Honor Your Hall of Famer Day. Right, exactly. Yeah, you're a uh, your Hall of Famer who spent uh, time with other places, too, but you still want to honor him in your own way. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's pretty cool, you know. Messina doesn't. He's not big on ceremony. Um, you know, he, he's he's a very low key kind of guy. But uh, yeah, he's out there right now in the field with a his plaque is out there and his family, and uh, you know they're giving away a Mike Messina T-shirt. And, and he was great. I mean, you know, you, in, for my book, he he I learned more from Mike Messina in seven years covering him than any other player, and uh, he really was a central figure. Uh, in the book and sort of explaining um, the craft of pitching. Well, that's, that's interesting. So, uh, you know, I've been thinking about you and, and the book as the dominant storyline in the overall trend of baseball to me this year, and it really started last year and the year before too, but is the combination of the high four-seam fastball and either a slider that breaks vertically or a 12 to 6 curveball as paired with that four seam fastball that's what Rowan Wick has shown up with in the Cubs bullpen or a changeup like Lucas Giolito uses as paired with that four seam fastball it seems it seems so entirely sensible um but also kind of new that that this is happening and I'm wondering if if that is that combo is something that you've noticed historically as you were doing all your research it's probably nothing new what we're looking at here Right. I mean, but, you know, but in the past, it was sort of like, uh, you know, you'd have your Nolan Ryan or, or Dwight Gooden, Sandy Koufax kind of guys with the classic uh, pitch up with your fastball and then with that hammer curveball. Um, but we're seeing it a lot more now and, and you can measure things. You could measure who has not just uh, the best velocity, but are really 
high spin rate to, to make the ball kind of, you know, appear to rise. Um, so those fastballs can be effective upstairs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, the curveballs, uh, curveball keeps, uh, keeps coming back. And, uh, I mean, it never left, but it, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's rising in prominence, uh, yet again. Yeah, it's uh, it, it it's it's going crazy, and we're seeing those kind of combinations. Um, Ted Williams, I think, always said Tyler that he had to sit slider and protect against fastball. Once the slider got in to the game enough, he couldn't sit fastball and then try to react to slider because he'd be dead. I, I wonder. I wonder if more people need to do that now, or or, or I mean, Ted was onto stuff usually. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he would talk about how the slider really changed the game because, um, <clears throat> you know, it gave the pitcher a, an, another weapon out there. And, and, and a lot of times you could see the curveball um, out of a guy's hand a little a little easier. You know, the fat, the curve, the slider is so effective because it's the pitch that looks like the fastball the longest before it, you know, changes direction, direction and slashes away from you mm-hmm. um, at the end. So that gave, you know, now Ted Williams was Ted Williams. He was able to figure it out against, against most guys. But um you know, he he still acknowledged how much that that pitch uh, really changed the game when it came into prominence in the fifties and sixties. Where do you think we're headed, Tyler, in terms of lineup construction around baseball? Because what the Cubs have been doing is is trying to teach all their launch angle guys to be better situational hitters, and and that is having extremely mixed results. Some guys are improving, some guys are not. There's a lot of lineups that are chock full of homer guys. Um, and then some of them are, can be nuanced and do that other thing with two strikes. Are we going to see more of the slappy Trey Turner types um, or just, you know, guys who can make some contact, whether it's Nick Madrigal in the minors for the White Sox or whoever, are, are those guys going to come back to prominence uh, in terms of being a part of lineups as we move forward? Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you'll see the pure um, slap hitter kind of guys like Juan Pierre types. Um, because yeah. it feels like you've got to have at least 15 to 20 homer power to, to even get a, a shot in a lineup ever, anymore. But I think when we see a lot of teams win the World Series with high contact lineups, um, I think that gets teams' attention. And so they, they can start to prioritize uh, guys who can still slug but don't strike out, which is a really tough thing to do. Um, but the Astros in particular seem to do it pretty well, and uh, the Red Sox last year did it well too. So I think if you want to win at all, it's hard to have a lot of swing and miss in your in your game. Yeah, the, the Cubs right now are 30th in contact percentage in, in all of baseball. Um, and so it's kind of amazing that they're that they're where they are uh, overall. What do we think the Astros are doing? Because they, man, their hitters have they have the best strikeout rate as an offense as well as the best strikeout rate as a pitching staff. So it's like offensively, Springer has gotten better. Bregman has gotten better in terms of striking out less. So do we know what they're teaching, and can we steal it? Yeah, it's been a trend for a few years. I remember going down there in the summer of 17 and writing about it. And, um, of course, they won the World Series that year. Um, but it continued last year where they lost in the LCS, but, you know, won over 100 games. And then and then this year as well. Um they are uh, sort of the perfect combination right now in baseball of <clears throat> analytics, but also um, a culture where players uh, get better or at least become the best version of themselves. Um, and I remember, you know, last week um, being around the Cubs a little bit and, and, and a few F's and used that, that phrase several times, you know, the, being the best version of ourselves and, and the Cubs are trying to get to that. Um, but the Astros have a knack for, 
whether it's pitching in particular or obviously offensively as well, just getting guys at to play at their peak. Um, you know, and that's that's what everybody wants. They get guys. Some guys improve when they get there, but mainly it's just having good players play well and giving them the resources to know what they do well and what they should emphasize. And the Astros do that better than anybody. You had a chance, Tyler Kepner from the New York Times with us here on Hit and Run on 670 Score. You had a chance to talk to Theo, talk to Joe Madden, and see the Cubs when they were in town and surprisingly swept the Mets, one of the best moments uh, of the season. But they're in an interesting place, aren't they? They're in that, you know, they won it three years ago. They want desperately to get another, of course, during this window. and And they seem to be hitting kind of a wall, whether it's with development or whether it's with coming up with other answers. Did they, what was your, your impression of where Theo and, and Joe Madden are in this, in this process here? Well, they still have a shot right now, obviously. Um, you know, they're, they're in playoff position. Um, and when you get in there, you never know who's going to get hot. Um, but it doesn't seem like they've really taken off um, or sustained what they had in, in 16. They've, they've come down a notch. Um, and I think that's a source of frustration. I mean, the, you know, the front office has continued to try to um, add. I mean, they've added Quintana and Hamels, and you know, they've 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 subtracted some guys. They've added a bunch of different closers over the years, and, and you know, some offense. Hello. Um, yes, doesn't seem to be evolving more. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what they do coming up, um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some some changes. Yeah, I, I think I think there there might be have to be some large changes. Um, Chris Bryant on the trade uh, the trade docket is one conversation. Wilson Contreras another. Well, we'll we'll see. Um, all right, where you are watching watching the Yankees? Can the Yankees win in the postseason with the rotation the way that it is? I think they can. Again, I like the Astros best um, rotation-wise and offensively, but he's the best regular baseball, I believe, or, or they're right there within a game or two. And they're lined up just for him. And there's a lot of swing and miss in that lineup, but it's going to be really formidable. Um, and rotation, I think they're just going to try to get four innings. If it's only four innings, that's fine. Um, they're not going to have to do too much because they're very confident in Green and Canely and Ottavino and Britton and Chapman. They don't have a chances. He's working his way back. Um, Severino's working his way back, too. They've got a lot of good arms. So I don't think it's so much about the rotation as it's just about the best combination of arms they can throw at you. And they can throw a lot of good ones at you. Tyler, appreciate it. Your phone's breaking up and you're approaching game time anyway. Thanks so much for the time, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks. You got it. It's Tyler Kepner of the New York Times. Yeah, the Yankees are 89-48. and 48. Um, By one game, they have the most wins in all of baseball ahead of the Astros and the Dodgers. Uh, the Braves have 83 wins. The Twins have 83 wins. And the Twins yesterday broke the Yankees' record for most home runs in a season. They have 27 games left to try and, uh, and, and better that record. They're at 268. Will they reach 300 in terms of home runs for a season? Probably. Probably. They're absolutely brutal in terms of, uh, of an opposition, what you're supposed to do. They were six home runs away from the record yesterday, and that's what they hit. No problem. They got a lot of guys who are hitting home runs, and a lot of them are very, very far. Um. It, it's it's really something because you knew that 
that Nelson Cruz was going to hit a lot of home runs because that's what he does when he's healthy. He's got 34. Max Kepler has 36 home runs. Eddie Rosario, 27. Mitch Garver, 26. Miguel Sano, 26. C.J. Crone, 24. Jonathan Scope, 21. Jorge Polanco, 20. That means they have eight guys. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight guys with 20 homers at least. Marwin Gonzalez has 27 games to get five, and then he'll be at 20. And then they'll have nine guys with 20 home runs. They can field an entire American League lineup with 20 home runs. Because, yes, it includes a catcher, Mitch Garver, who doesn't even play that much. 76 games played, 265 at-bats for Mitch Garver, who has 26 home runs, a 972 OPS. They are ridiculous. And... Do they have enough pitching for the postseason? It's going to be really interesting in the American League because the Yankees, with all that bullpen, all that, uh, all those bullpen arms, they can bullpen the hell out of you over a five-game series and maybe a seven-game or two. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see starting pitching strength of the Astros versus bullpen strength of the Yankees. And, uh, and and my goodness, all that home run power for the Yankees as well. 670, the score is where you are. It is hit and run. Just a crazy, crazy September 1st here in MLB. Uh, we will check in over at Wrigley Field, make sure we've got all the news. Uh, the, the lineup is out and the lineup is weird. No Anthony Rizzo getting a day off after his first game back just to make sure the back is in order. Um, also, he's up against Gio Gonzalez, who he does not do particularly well against historically. Uh, Jason Hayward is brutal historically against Gio Gonzalez, so he gets the day off. Ben Zobrist is active, but not in the lineup, and he won't be in the lineup tomorrow either, according to Joe Madden. So your leadoff hitter is Javier Baez today. Baez is your leadoff hitter. Caratini's playing first. Jonathan Lucroy is catching. Ian Happ is playing instead of Schwarber. They're loading up with righties against Gio Gonzalez, who is very good against lefties and has been very good against the Cubs. The starting pitcher for the Cubs is Tyler Chatwood. It is not you, Darvish, who is being skipped today. Is that all the Cubs news? That's plenty of it. A lot of guys have come back to uh, be with the rosters as they expand. We're at 32 players on this Cubs roster. Uh, it was 37 last year in September. This is the yeah, last year of rosters being expanded beyond 28. Last year, we are capped at 28. And I've got some thoughts to pass on about the effect that that'll have on MLB along the way. I'm here with you another 40 minutes or so. It's hit and run. Matt Spiegel here with you on 670. The score heading you towards Zach Zabin's pregame for Cubs and Brewers. Phone lines are open at 312-644-6767. Dial it up and get involved right now. 6711 via text at Matt Spiegel 670 via Twitter. And before we get out of here, we'll play you some of the best of Ben Zobrist when he spoke to the media earlier today, which you heard live and we'll hear again right here on The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.